0: The following is a Westminster Seminary, California, morning devotion given by Dr. R. Scott Clark. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Father, we're grateful to be together this morning and grateful for your kindness we're grateful that you have made us your sheep we are grateful that you are our shepherd and you sent the good shepherd for us who laid down his life for his sheep whom no one can snatch because you and the father are one and your holy spirit is sovereign and powerful and will preserve them to the end hear our prayer accept our praise and thanksgiving forgive our sins always and illumine your holy word for us by your spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen. So I'd like to meditate with you this morning on Genesis 15. And I tried to figure out how not to read the whole chapter, but I couldn't figure that out. So Genesis 15, God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible, unchanging word from the English Standard Version The word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut uh, them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kezites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless this word, and may he give us grace to understand it. Uh, I call this uh, passage, this, this chapter really, uh, it's kind of a clunky title. It's not, it's not very clever, not very memorable. It was the best I could do for the moment. Abraham believed God's gracious, unilateral promise. And I really wanted to talk about Genesis fifteen six, 6. Uh, and, and for obvious reasons, it gets quoted three times in the New Testament, right? Romans 4.3, Galatians 3.6, and James 2.23. It's one of the most important passages uh, in not only in the New Testament, in that it's a proof text of the New Testament and the biblical doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I've been thinking about it too relative to the controversy between the Reformed and the Arminians because the Arminians understand this verse and, and its New Testament quotation to teach that the act of Abraham's faith was imputed to him for righteousness, whereas Calvin and the Reformed and the Protestants, Luther, if you look at Luther's commentary on Genesis, his lectures on Genesis in chapter 15, makes it very clear that any such claim confuses the law and the gospel. The, the gospel is that God came to Abraham and graciously, unconditionally made promises, and Abraham received them with an empty uh, the empty hand hand, of faith, so that faith is the mere instrument, and that, as Calvin says, what was imputed to, uh, to Abraham was not his act of faith, but the righteousness of Christ that he received by faith. And that uh, surely is the, the better understanding than the Arminians. Um, Charles Simeon, uh, uh, in his Horae um, Homileticae, has a, a wonderful comment in there. Uh, on Genesis 15:6, uh, to the effect that if it's uh, our act of faith that's credited to us, then uh, uh, it is something that we did that's being credited to us. Which then turns justification by grace alone through faith alone uh, on its head, and you've simply substituted uh, one work for another, which of course is what the Arminians and the Remonstrants ended up doing uh, after all. And so those, those are the things that I really wanted to talk about, but uh, the Word of God has its own way uh, with us, and I kept uh, being driven back to the broader context of the passage, and, and uh, as remarkable as that statement is, and as important as, as 15.6 is, uh, uh, I am impressed by the fact that God makes three promises and, and it's always helpful to, when you're reading a text to start at the beginning. Right? Um, I understand that, that biblical texts have a beginning, uh, don't always have a sort of Aristotelian pattern of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And sometimes the point, oftentimes, especially in the Old Testament, the point is in the middle. And, uh, maybe that's true here, I don't know. But, but uh, it is, nevertheless, uh, in, in, useful to start at the beginning. And, and the first thing we see in this text Is that it's uh, Yahweh who comes to Abram. Right after these things, uh, specifically it says, the word of Yahweh came to Abram. Uh, That's an interesting expression um, that uh, we must, as Christians, right, read this, uh, we must read canonically, we must read with a consciousness that not only is Moses the proximate human author, the real human author inspired by the Holy Spirit, but that there is a divine author that unites all of Scripture, and the divine author has a message as well in this text, um, and we know that uh, from the New Testament. It's a remarkable thing to say, Uh, not quite casually, but but without a lot of uh, sort of... uh, a warm-up, if you will. The word of Yahweh came to Abram. Well, what does the word of Yahweh say? And, of course, for us to say the word of Yahweh, as Christians, it's hard not to think, and I I don't think we should resist, frankly, the temptation to think of the word. In the beginning was the word. Who was it that, that came to Abram? Right? Who is Yahweh to Abram? Who comes to us in the Old Testament? Who comes to us in Genesis? Who walked with Adam in the cool of the day? Whatever that means, see Professor Klein. Does a father come and walk with? I mean, after all, who is God? Is God unipersonal? In the Old Testament, and then suddenly, and shockingly, and without any um, forewarning, without any foreshadowing, three persons? How many people read scripture? But it's not how the New Testament reads scripture, and it's not how Christians read scripture. We know that God is uh, multi-personal, even from the Hebrew Bible. So who came to Abram to speak to him, to mediate uh, Yahweh's promise to him. Who is the word? logos. Who is the word? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I understand this to intimate that God the Son, who is the, who is the mediator always of the Father, even before the incarnation, and who manifested himself as the Malach Yahweh, the, the angel of Yahweh, Came to. I'm not saying necessarily that this is one of those occasions of the Malach Yahweh, but but something like that. Uh, and what does what does the word say? I am your shield. What a remarkable thing to say. So we have this this first promise: I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Don't worry, Abraham. I will take care of you. I'm going to give you more than you can possibly imagine, more than you can possibly understand. You want an offspring. You want land. I, 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 I can take care of that. That's really not a problem for me. But I'm going to give you more than that. I am your reward. I am your shield. I, I'm the one who protects you. I'm the one whom you will receive. And who was Abraham? Did God look down the corridors of history? Of course, this is the Dort anniversary, so we're thinking about what kind of election is there. Is is it the case that, as Bob Godfrey quite wonderfully says, uh, that according to the remonstrance, God elected a set of conditions, that whoever meets those conditions and then who persists in meeting those conditions by cooperating with grace and doing their part is that, is that the way God relates to us? No, this is a marvelous picture of unconditional grace. Abraham was a pagan. He's a Gentile. He's an Ur of the Chaldees. He's not doing anything. He hasn't merited anything. God didn't look down the corridors of time to see, oh, there's Abraham and he's going to respond appropriately. God simply loved Abraham from all eternity in Christ because he loved him unconditionally. This means, children, that you don't have to do things to make God love you. You do things because God already loved you. That's why you do what you do. That's, the, that's why you live the way you live as a Christian. And so immediately Abraham starts to backtalk. Oh, but, uh, oh Lord God, what will you give me? I just told you, Abraham, I will give you me. You don't listen very well, do you? Abram? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm childless. is going to inherit my property. He must be the senior member of his household, by the way. Household means household. It doesn't mean nuclear family. This is an extended, uh, almost small governmental unit of which Abraham was the head in this household. And the, the Lord comes to him again. Behold, verse 4, the word of Yahweh came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he, and he brought him outside and he said, look at the heavens, this is how many the seed, your, your seed will be. So shall your offspring be, at the end of verse 5. And here's that uh, great verse that the, on which the New Testament so properly seizes, and he, Abraham, believed Yahweh, and he, presumably uh, Yahweh, imputed, reckoned, counted it, But faith, but faith as instrument that apprehends the promise, not the act of faith. Certainly Abraham's act of faith was imperfect. It was mixed. It was impure. We know that simply by reading the life of Abraham. This guy sold out his wife, right, not once but twice, lied about her to save his own skin. This is not Saint Abraham with a storehouse of merit, to share with others. This is a struggling sinner. Elected and loved in Christ from all eternity. Simply because God graciously and marvelously chose. And God says in verse 7, I am Yahweh. Right? Who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land. And again, Abraham back talks. But oh Lord, how am I to know that I will possess it? He's almost challenging Yahweh to prove himself. And so Yahweh says, uh, all right, I will, I will, I will prove. So the, the first promise, right? Abraham believed God's gracious unilateral promise. And that gracious unilateral promise, and that's an important qualification. It's unilateral. Unilateral. That's the nature of the covenant of grace. It's not bilateral in its origin or in its essence. It's fundamentally a covenant of grace, not a covenant of works. And that's really important because you you, you see that here three times the Lord graciously, unconditionally comes to Abraham. It's not conditioned on Abraham's obedience. This is important because for a variety of reasons... Some of them well-intentioned, perhaps some of them not well-intentioned. People always want to turn the covenant of grace into a covenant of works, and, and frequently they want to turn Abraham into a covenant of works. And Abraham is consistently portrayed both in the Hebrew Bible, particularly in the prophets, and especially in the New Testament as an exemplar of the covenant of grace. That's Paul's whole use of Abraham in Romans 4. Abraham was the father of all who believe. He was the father, uh, he's the father of Gentiles because Abraham believed when he was a Gentile. Right? He's the father of Gentile Christians. And he's the father of Jewish Christians because he believed after he was circumcised. And that's when he became a Jew, when he was circumcised. Abraham is an exemplar of the covenant of grace, not the covenant of works. And if you don't get that, you're going to have significant problems understanding the whole sweep of, Of Scripture, because you'll misunderstand the Abrahamic paradigm, which is fundamental to the Bible's own self understanding and particularly to the New Testament understanding of the nature of the covenant of grace. It's a unilateral, unconditional, gracious promise, and and it comes in three parts, right? First, he says, I am your reward, I am your shield. Second, I will give you a seed. And what's the third thing that he promised? Well, you, you know a little bit from, from your studies here about what it means to cut up animals. It is to say in the ancient Near East, may it be to me as it is to these animals if I break this covenant. Who made that promise? Yahweh made that promise. You know what, what this is like a little bit. You've signed documents swearing an oath in some formal, semi-formal setting. Right? If you when you buy, if you haven't bought a house, someday, uh, Lord willing, when you buy a house, you will sign documents and you will swear an oath, and you'll, in effect, you'll say, "May it be to me as it, as you know as it is to these animals, if I don't make the mortgage payment." Because it, it's a, it, 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 right, it, there is a covenant of works in this text, but the covenant of works is not Abraham's; it's Yahweh's. You, when you sign those mortgage papers, you're, you're swearing to perform the terms of a covenant of works. And if you don't perform the terms of the covenant, th- this is what happens. A couple of guys named Guido come to your house. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and you are escorted off. Actually, they send the sheriff. And you're escorted off, and it's not your house anymore. And they take it from you, because you didn't meet the terms. Yahweh comes and makes a covenant of works with Abraham but he puts himself under the terms of the covenant of works may it be to me as it is to these animals if I don't keep my covenant promise the first thing he promised was to be his shield and his reward the second thing he promised was the seed the third thing that he promised was to keep his promise at the cost of his own life who made that promise well I know who made that promise because I know who kept that promise God, the Son incarnate kept that promise. The seed. Paul says, it, it does not say and seeds, but seed who is one, who is Christ. Christ is the seed. Christ is the reward. Christ is the shield. Christ is the word. Christ is the one who went between the pieces. And he bore the the brunt of covenant breaking. Not his covenant breaking. But our covenant breaking. Abraham's covenant breaking. Your covenant breaking. Adam's covenant breaking. Our covenant breaking. We broke the covenant of works. God made a covenant of grace. God kept the terms of the covenant of works on our behalf in Christ. He paid the penalty for our breaking of the terms of the covenant of works. So that we might benefit from Christ in a covenant of grace. So that we might live our... Christian lives in a gracious, unilateral covenant sealed by the blood of Christ. Confirmed by his death and confirmed by the holy sacraments. That's what the sacraments testify to. That God did it. Christ went through, we say in the Belgian Confession, the Red Sea. That's what baptism testifies to. The Lord's Supper testifies to the fact that Jesus' body was broken for us. This is my covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my body broken for you. He went between the pieces. He became the pieces. He bore the wrath so that we might have the benefit, so that we might have Christ, the seed, the shield, the reward. By pure favor. Through faith alone, Abraham believed that promise. And Christ's righteousness was reckoned to him. And he received it through faith. Let's give thanks. Father, we do rejoice this morning in the glorious promise of the gospel that is here presented in types and shadows. We're thankful that we are in a covenant of grace with you and not a covenant of works. We're grateful for the way the covenant of grace is illustrated for us here in this marvelous passage. And we're grateful most of all that you, Lord Jesus, are the word of God and you came and did. You not only promised, but you came and you did. And you did for us. And we thank you and we bless you. Hear our prayer, accept our thanks. For we come in your name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.